Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Carly Riley, and we're going to explore the evolution of business models for NFTs. If you're thinking about starting an NFT, you're going to want to listen to what we talk about today because Carly has a lot of wisdom to share. By the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in one of the last few episodes, but we have changed the name of the show. So it used to be called Crypto Business. It's now called Web3 Business. And I am at Stelzner on Instagram. That hasn't changed. And I'm at Mike underscore Stelzner. That hasn't changed either. So if you want to go ahead and share out this show or reach out to me on the platforms, that's the best way to reach me. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show. We've got some great content coming up. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Carly Riley. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Carly Riley. If you don't know who Carly is, she's an NFT expert, content creator, and Web3 advisor. Her business is Overpriced Media. She's host of the Overpriced JPEGs podcast, and her documentary is called What the Media Gets Wrong About Crypto in Puerto Rico. Carly, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited that you're here. Today, Carly and I are going to explore how NFT business models are evolving. But before we go there, I want to hear your story. Like, How the heck did you get into NFTs? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. <laughs> I never know exactly where to start. I've had such a, a funny and, and like winding career. I usually start with, I was the finance director on Andrew Yang's presidential campaign in, in 2020 and had been interested in crypto, I would say, you know, prior to that, I'd worked at a hedge fund right out of college. And, you know, there was the one, the one DGen in the office who would talk my ear off about Ethereum and Monero and all these different coins. And I thought it was interesting, you know, in an abstract kind of intellectual sense. And then was the finance director for Yang's campaign for about two years, worked with a lot of our big donors, some of whom were, were into crypto, but we're in like the 2018, 2019 era, you know, so there wasn't so much going on, but it was like a couple people still love Bitcoin. And I was like, all right, this stuff's still around. And then I was at a venture studio in uh, early last year, right at, you know, after the, after the presidential campaign, I was like, oh, got to get out of politics. This love Andrew, but this is a toxic world out there. So um, went kind of back to my finance roots, went to a venture studio. And beginning of last year was starting to realize what was happening first in DeFi and was like, oh, like all this stuff that they'd been talking about in 2016 with Ethereum, they're actually doing and there's something actually being building here and these built here and these smart contracts are turning into something. So 
that really wet my appetite again. And that's 2021 for people that are listening in the future, right? Early 2021, right? Yep. Appreciate that. Yeah. Early 2021. I know we're coming close to the end of 2022. So you, you do have to clarify now, huh? Then, then found NFTs. And that was, you know, even more interesting to me. And left the venture studio, joined a blockchain startup. Bankless approached me last year and, and was like, hey, you know, we'd love for you to come and start like an NFT and metaverse specific show within Bankless. If I don't know if folks are interested, familiar with Bankless or not. And tell us a little bit about how that happened. How did you connect with those guys? So funny enough, I, I've always had kind of a media content interest. I had done stuff on the side even back when I was at the hedge fund. It actually was the reason I initially left the hedge fund was they were like, you can't have this show. I was doing kind of a political show on Vermont public access television. Funny enough, like you can't do the show and work here. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing the show. So uh, that's a little funny other little you know tangent. My career went down. And then I helped to co-host Andrew Yang's podcast after the presidential campaign, I, you know, I left politics, but, but stayed on to kind of help him with some of his podcasting stuff. So Ryan, I'd actually interviewed Ryan Sean Adams, who's the founder of Bankless in the beginning of 2021. And then he, both he and David, the co-founder of Bankless, his other co-founder were like into Yang and into Yang Speaks and had heard me on there. And so when they saw that I was getting into the NFTs, they were like, Ooh, you know, flatteringly, they were like, you're talented. We think you could do this you know, come, come to a show with us. So, and it was a dream come true for me. I'd been interested in this, frankly, for, for a while. And wh when did that start? That show, the show we're talking about now is overpriced JPEGs. Oh, I'm a top signal. I'm literally, when I get out of podcasting, that's when you should buy because I started like at the top. <laughs> Which is when? It was, well, it's not quite the top. I started, the show officially launched in November of last year. So it's funny to, to look back at some of my early interviews because we were in like a little bit of a slump in early November relative to, you know, some of the peaks of the summer. And I'm in some conversations and in interviews in like November last year being like the bear market. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, <laughs> that's quaint. So I would love to know how you actually got into NFTs. Like there was, you know, somewhere in there, what is it about NFTs? Like, how did you discover NFTs? Like, tell us a little bit about that story that ultimately led you going down this path that you're in now. So the smart contract concept was always interesting to me, as I said. And the idea, like the, the digital scarcity thing and the idea that you could have smart contracts and, and sort of like, law replaced by code, you know, to put it in broad terms. Like, I understood that on, on some level, you know, that kind of was an instant click. And then I heard Gary Vaynerchuk, I think was really the one who really red pulled me, you know, and, and as he was gearing up for his V friends launch, he was talking about this. And it was like, oh, the consumer application side. And, you know, I, I always joke, I feel like being in this space is like constantly having aha moments that when you try to articulate the aha moment, you end up just like reiterating the things that like the platitudes that get said over and over again. But you're like, no, but it's like an aha. I'm, it's hitting me in a new way. You know, it's hitting me anew. So it, it was sort of, you know, I, I've had aha moments over and over again. But like NFTs as this tool to foster greater connection between brands and their audience, creators and their audience, digital goods, the digital economy. Like, you know, that was really starting to sink in when I heard Gary talk, you know, in, in probably like April, March of last year. And, and was then starting to track some of the other NFT stuff anyway. But I, I give him a lot of credit for, I think, bringing a lot of people and making it click for a lot of people. 100%. So you start the overpriced JPEG pod, JPEGs podcast. And what was the premise of the show when you started the show? The premise, well, <laughs> the premise of the show like was like, let's just cover the space. You know, we're like early enough that you can be broad like that. And for me, I think there was 
the hope that I could be sort of a bridge. I mean, it's such a platitude at this point. You hear it all the time, but I've never made my profile picture, for example, an NFT. I've always kept it my actual face. And, and even in the name overpriced JPEGs, it was sort of being like, you're in on the joke, normies. You know what I mean? Like we, I get it. There is a lot of stuff here that is quite literally an overpriced JPEG. And it's also kind of tongue in cheek because it's, it's not just that, and, you know, et cetera. So the hope was like, you know, we're all kind of learning the space and, and maybe I can be a, a really helpful voice in guiding people to it. I think I did achieve that. I also think I very quickly got deep in it. You know, like my mom is like, I listen to every episode, sweetheart. I don't understand a word you say. You know, <laughs> like, okay. So, you know, it's not like for the total, total normie, um, certainly. But I, I have thoughts for, for 2023. And as I think about how I'm going to do content in 2023, I think I have some ideas around how I can maybe attract a newer audience without losing my existing audience. Yeah, we'll see. All an experiment. So you launched the show. You just did your one year, right? You just hit one year as of like yeah. this month, right? And we're recording yeah. this in late November of 2022. Tell us kind of what the show made possible for you. I mean, like, tell us a little bit about that journey. I mean, you know, I am, I have become such an advocate of getting into industries early. I tell all of my creative friends, I have some friends who are super talented writers, for example, like story writers, fantasy writers. And I'm like, just do something in Web3 because um, the doors that get unlocked are so much faster than anywhere else. I mean, you know, to give some like flashy examples, I had Ashley Benson on my podcast this year. She has 25 million followers on Instagram. She's like a complete A-list actress celebrity. I had dinner at Paris Hilton's house, you know, like uh, two months ago, a month and a half ago. Things that even for, for, for my size, for, for, you know, I haven't been even doing this a year at those points, like are crazy opportunities to be getting. But it's because obviously the nature of this industry being still so young, there's still, there's still, you can still get some hype just from doing the thing, just from doing it, from being involved with an NFT. I don't think that, and that, that obviously won't, um, won't hold for forever. Um, but that's been amazing. I mean, just the people I've met. I also just like, I, I love making content. And so the fact that I can make a living now as somebody making content this short into my tenure of making content in many ways is, is, is really amazing. So is this your full-time job then running this show or are you also doing other work? I know we talked about this thing called Block Block. Yeah, I advise a couple of different companies, a company called Liquid Collections. I'm you know, an entrepreneur and resident at a company called Block Block, which was actually the blockchain startup that I joined full-time last year. And then there was sort of this, you know, kind of perfect moment at the beginning of this year where they were sort of pivoting. The podcast was doing really well both company and myself were in these inflection points where it made sense for me to step back and, you know, advise and, and stay involved and, and just kind of entrepreneurial in residence piece, but not, not be full time with them. And then, you know, I, so overpriced is now a, a an LLC. We actually just were closing today, <laughs> day before Thanksgiving, I think a, a round of, you know, kind of modest round of investment, which is exciting. And we have overpriced JPEGs, the podcast and, and a newsletter that's, um, pretty sizable. And, you know, that, that's a whole another set of kind of content we're putting out. And then Between Two Layers, which is another podcast that I produce and co-host with Robbie Ferguson, who's the president of Immutable X. So I always joke, that's like, you think overpriced JPEGs is nerdy, you know, wait till you hear Between Two Layers, where it's like layer two scaling solutions. And it's Robbie Ferguson, who's just a total tech giga brain. And I just sit there being like, Okay, explain it again. You know, like tell me how this works, but slower. <laughs> well, and your newsletter, we should mention you've got over what 120, 130,000 subscribers on that newsletter, right? Yeah, like we're we're nearing 150,000 subscribers at this point. That's that's huge. How do people find that if they want to check that out? Yeah, jpegs.banklesshq.com should get you there. Or if they just google what what's it called if they were to google it? Overpriced jpegs Substack. 
should get you there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm Googling it now. I'm like, I should, I should know this. I haven't done a lot of press as you can tell. No, it's, it's all good. It's all good. So, all right. So this has helped establish uh, for everyone listening, Carly's rapid, if you will, rise into a pretty prominent position in the world of Web3 and specifically covering NFTs. And congratulations on all of your success. Because you've covered this industry and because you write about it and because you interview a lot of people that are successful, there are people listening now not this moment, but in the future that are like skeptical, right? They're maybe they're creators, maybe they're entrepreneurs, or maybe they're even existing businesses. And they're like, okay, um, not sure I'm by the idea of an NFT project. So talk about the upside. What's the advantage that NFTs bring to the table that maybe people in the world of business ought to consider? I think the reality is that it is increasingly impossible or difficult to get anyone's attention. We are just inundated. You know, I'm, I'm obviously saying very obvious things here, but like we are inundated every day with messaging, with brands that want our attention, media that wants our attention, creators that want our attention. And, you know, I, I kind of joke, it's a, it's a, like a feature and a bug of late stage capitalism in some way. You know, we also have a lot of just like entrenched players that are just fighting for those last squeezes of juice out of their lemons or, or how, whatever the analogy would be. And within that landscape, and I think against that backdrop, NFTs are, are, going to come out and emerge and are already emerging, obviously, as a, a very powerful tool for getting your customer, your fans, your audience's attention. And it's a way to curate unique experiences, which we might talk about maybe a little bit later on, like curate unique experiences for your audience, again, to just make them more bonded to you and closer to you. And I think that's sort of the fundamental value prop here. Yeah. And we also talked about network effect, if you want to mention that as well. Like, what's your take on on network effect and why this is so important when it comes to NFTs? Yeah, well, you know, I, I understand why people are skeptical, you know, and, and one of the things is that this is a technology like social media where its effects and it, its power and its like importance um, will grow exponentially with the number of users in the system, you know? So like in, in early days of social media, First of all, obviously, the early adopters had a huge advantage over the later adopters in the sense that people would follow them early on social media and then they would be the bigger players later. But also, you know, they were talking to a smaller audience. And sometimes I think that's what happens in, in NFTs. It can feel like, well, there's not that many users here. But if you get in early, you know, my hypothesis would be you're going to start building that audience and then it'll it'll just gain in power and effect as more people do get into the ecosystem, more people do own wallets, et cetera. Yeah, and this is a great transition into my next question. Getting in early with the wrong model is not necessarily good, right? So let's talk a little bit because you've been tracking this space since it started blowing up in 2021 and obviously the decline in 2022. So let's talk a little bit about the models that used to be successful that maybe no longer are successful. And if you could kind of maybe expand a little bit on this late stage capitalism concept and this squeeze in the, the juice out of the thing, and maybe that's a good setup for what we need to talk about here. I think in 2022, what you saw in 2021 were NFTs, a lot of companies or businesses or whatever, where NFTs were the product. And I think you will have a, a small handful of companies for which that will always sort of be true. And, and specifically companies around like IP, where you are trying to build the next Disney, that's sort of, that's Gary Vaynerchuk's thing. I'm trying to build the next Disney. And these characters that I have now minted to the blockchain are the core and the heart, the IP upon which I'm going to build. These are my Mickey Mouse characters. That is obviously the vast majority of businesses are never going to be that and are not aspiring to be that. So what I think we'll see moving forward is 
NFTs as tools within existing businesses that have revenue streams. And again, as a way to bring you closer to your audience or bring really your audience closer to you. Again, looking at sort of what happened in 2021, 2022, I use this late stage capital as an example of we've got all these lemons and sort of the competition now is like, how do you extract the last bits of juice out of these late stage capitalist lemons? And that sounds very extractive. And what we've seen, and I think why a lot of people have been turned off by this space is that for the last two years, a lot of what has happened has been very extractive. It's been, okay, I've made this piece of art, give me money and I'll make these vague promises that I may or may not someday fulfill. But that's not going to last. Well, and let's talk about that a little bit. What were some of the big promises? Because this hopefully will be instructive to someone who might think they want to model some of these things and might not realize they don't work anymore. So let's like actually call out. We don't have to say the collection, but what are some of the things that everybody was doing that were hypothesizing really likely won't work anymore? I think it was a lot of people launching an NFT, having that be the product, And then when that is your product, there's only a few places you can go, right? Which is basically make a game or like make a movie, you know, make a comic book. Like everybody started to fall into some sort of make merchandise. You know, these weren't, and you don't have to be Starbucks and you don't already have to be as big as Starbucks, but you could be a coffee brand who has revenue selling your coffee that wants to build a loyalty program with an NFT where the business is coffee. And the NFT is a more powerful loyalty tool. But we didn't see a lot of that. We saw, here's my artwork or my JPEG. And now I'm also going to try and sell you merch, you know, and I'm also going to make you a comic book and and I'm going to get a Netflix deal. And obviously the vast, vast majority will never, will never get that. I've invested in a lot of different projects and most of my investing happened in very late 2021 and into 2022. And nearly every new project that I invested in was claiming they were going to have a metaverse play. They were almost all claiming that they were going to have, you know, and the metaverse play was obviously this big deal. Like we're going to have land and all this stuff. And what do we know now about the metaverse? It's not even close to being ready, right? Like not even close. Right. And then they were also claiming that they were going to develop software or they were going to develop, uh, like you mentioned, these characters into these comic books or into these movies. And I think what ended up happening was everybody expected it to happen overnight, right? So you had people kind of ape into these collections. And then all of a sudden, the, the people that were founding these collections, for whatever reason, didn't know how to spend their money. And all of a sudden, they ran out of money or there was lack of interest and then the collections just dive bombed. And we saw it happen over and over and over and over again, right? And it seems like those days are kind of coming to an end. And then the royalty side of it, we probably should talk about that a little bit too, right? Sure. <laughs> plenty plenty to go off of there. Do you want me to talk about royalties? Well, yeah, we should because like the other side of the angle is a lot of these business models were built on royalty assumptions, right? And talk about why that might be not necessarily here by the end of 2023, right? Yeah. And I'll say to you, just going off of what you just said, I think the land sale piece, and I've been on this, I'll give myself credit for for a little while now. I mean, I released an episode probably at the beginning of this year at, at this point that was like, why metaverse sales are a bad idea, land sales are a bad idea. And I think that, I, do, I don't know, I will see, but I, I don't think that will ever end up being like the, the right strategy for metaverses, quote unquote. We can get into that. But but on the royalty side, a lot of people were lured into this space on the promise of royalties. And there has been an awakening in the space as a lot of folks realized royalties aren't coded in at the smart contract level. So that was sort of the assumption was that this is the beauty of code. If I sell my Taylor Swift ticket, <laughs> you know, in light of that disaster as an NFT, I can 
put into the smart contract that all anytime it's resold, a cut of that of those resales go to Taylor Swift, for example, and that that can be done at this very, you know, DNA granular level. And the reality is that's, that's really can't be coded in at the smart contract level. It comes heavily at the expense of interoperability of liquidity. So that's been kind of a crisis in the space in, in many ways over the last three or four months is you had marketplaces that started to go to zero royalties. So the marketplace, it was at the marketplace level that these, these royalties were being enforced. And you had a number of marketplaces that said, you know what, we're not going to enforce creator royalties, which meant that, of course, the products were cheaper to buy on those marketplaces. So you didn't have this added on fee. And it became this race to the bottom. Now we're talking, as we and I are talking, Michael, like we're in this kind of reversal of that trend in a way that's making me optimistic, which is you had OpenSea, the leading NFT marketplace, come out and say, we are creating a line of code that we that all future smart contracts, all future projects should include in their smart contracts. And it will basically blacklist. It can't itself enforce the royalties. But if that NFT, if somebody attempts to sell that NFT on a marketplace that does not enforce royalties at the marketplace level, it cannot be sold through that marketplace. And by OpenSea coming out and saying that, and all these new smart contracts and projects being built with that code in place, a lot of now other marketplaces, the incentive has reversed. And now they're like, oh, shoot, we're going to be completely cut out of this market and blocked from sales if we now don't enforce creator royalties. So I'm optimistic. You know, it, it, it's still unfortunate that this can't be done at the smart contract level, but it's starting to become embedded culturally in a way and kind of procedurally in a way that makes me feel like royalties will be protected. But I think it is so important to not Again, don't make the NFT your only product. And then you're not, that's not, you can't be your only revenue stream. And then you're not beholden to royalties. It can be the gravy on top, but you don't have to like model, model your whole business out on it. Yeah. And unfortunately, that was pretty much how most NFT projects were making money, you know, in 2021 and in 2022 was they were making more money on their royalties than they were on their initial mint. And that business model is at risk. We don't know what the future holds, obviously, right? So there's a possibility that this may not be the future it may be it may be we just don't know right yeah and but i will add all of that being true it was never a a great way to build a business model because it was so you know you, you couldn't take your 2022 or 2021 even when things were going great you knew things couldn't last like that forever so you couldn't have looked at like your 12 month royalty checks and been like well now i can project a 10 year business plan or a one year business plan so it was always an unsustainable from a business economics perspective, it was always going to be a little unsustainable. So this didn't totally wreck, it didn't wreck everything in the sense that businesses shouldn't have been you know, forecasting based on royalty numbers. Okay. So we've talked about some of the things that no longer seem to be working, like the idea of like, we're going to create a movie or comic books, or we're going to go ahead and have these, we're going to have metaverse presence. These things don't seem to be as appealing today as they were just six months ago. So let's talk about from your perspective, because you are analyzing the space, you know, what are tenants of good projects that you're seeing moving forward? Let's talk about whatever comes to mind. I know you, you and I talked about some things, but I'll, I'll let you riff for a little bit and then we'll see where we go. Yeah. I think it comes back to this key of how do you strategically use NFTs to enhance your relationship with your audience for whatever your business is is already doing or whatever the business you want to be in. So if you if your dream has always been to create IP and your dream has always been to create movies and that's what you wanted to do anyway, okay, great. Go compete in this sea and this arena of V friends and doodles and board apes and on all the rest of it, God, Godspeed. But don't do it because you think NFTs are a holy grail where that business, that is going to be the most competitive, most difficult 
I think, niche to, to break into in some ways. What really excites me now is Starbucks Odyssey, for example. For folks who don't know, Starbucks recently announced that they are building out essentially an entire addition to their loyalty program that is entirely NFT-based. We don't have a ton of details on this yet. You know, they haven't announced all of the specifics here. But again, in the spirit of curating unique experiences, it seems like there will be opportunities you know, to tour coffee plants in you know, Guatemala or these really amazing opportunities that will exist for the, the NFT holders and for folks who collect these NFTs in their Starbucks Odyssey wallet. And notably, I think it's so important because this will come up a couple times in what I'm about to say. They're not calling them NFTs. They're calling them stamps. Stamps, but is it journey stamps? I think they're calling them journey stamps. Funny I think enough, so. yeah. I think which so. I think you know, as you buy more coffee, you know, you can kind of assume what that journey might be. So you play games on their app again, capture your attention. How do we keep the attention on our brand? You play things in the Starbucks app. You get these these journey stamps um, that can be redeemed for all sorts of all sorts of rewards, etc. So I think Starbucks. It's huge. And, and you and I were talking about this before, but I, there's a stat that just is mind boggling. I, I probably won't get it exactly, exactly right. But basically the Starbucks loyalty app is, you know, Starbucks app is like the second largest payments app in, in the United States. Like Apple Pay does more volume and then number two is Starbucks, which is staggering and just shows the power of that loyalty program. And the guy who started, who, who was the head of digital at Starbucks, who, who built that app, left Starbucks, did a couple other things and now has launched Forum 3, which is the company that is going to be managing and running and, and putting in place Starbucks NFT loyalty program, this Starbucks Odyssey program. So it's, it's actually a Starbucks digital like OG who's back to do this. So really exciting. The other thing I think you see Instagram. Now there's lots of mixed feelings about Meta and I understand that and there's mixed feelings about Meta and their Metaverse play. I would say Adam Osiri, who is the CEO of Meta. Of Instagram. Of Instagram. Uh, thank you. Yeah, of Instagram. Is uh, at least pays very good lip service to understanding this whole thing. And he did a, a really awesome TED Talk. I would recommend people go check it out. Adam Osiri. That was TED great. Talk that was great. About how the next kind of iteration of all this is creators owning their relationship to their fan. And that NFTs are essentially the tool that Instagram is betting on where that will happen. Where instead of you, Instagram owns your fan base or Twitter owns your fan base or your, your audience base, whatever it is you will use NFTs to own it. So they, they they buy one of your NFTs maybe directly in the Instagram app. But now you can go and say, hey, if you if you have that NFT, you'll get these exclusive perks on Twitter. If the Instagram app went down, you actually still have this tether, this thing that's keeping you and your fan close to one another. And to have Adam and to have Instagram talking about that, and now they've made several moves. You can now, first you could showcase NFTs on Instagram. Now you can actually mint and sell NFTs directly on Instagram to, to an audience is pretty powerful. So you're already starting to see that, that option on the social media side. Reddit had a, a great use case there. You know, these are obviously massive, massive companies. But on the startup side of things, I mentioned I'm advising a company called Liquid Collections, which is... Oh gosh, I hope Kit doesn't kill me for explaining it this way. I, I never know what, what there's so much to what he's doing, but like the way I put it is like allowing more micro influencers, which could be hundred. I mean, I'm doing something with him. I've got, you know, 25,000 followers or whatever it is up to like a million followers, allowing folks to launch their own spirits brands, which is something that's typically only reserved for your George Clooney's, your Kendall Jenner's, like the biggest of biggest stars. Cause it's usually a, an initial output of cash of 500,000 millions of dollars to, to start a spirits brand. With NFTs, you can pre-sell. You, you sell the NFTs, which can later be redeemed for spirits. What that allows, right, is, first of all, it's, it's sustainable. You're not creating more batch, more product than there is demand for it. 
And in a, a very complicated industry like BevAlk, just given obviously the nature of it, that's super powerful. And so I'm, I launched Overpriced Gin in honor of the one year anniversary of, of the show. We're sending all the past guests of the show bottles of Overpriced Gin. But it also becomes this way where I can do smaller batch spirits sales, which is really cool. And, and NFTs are at the core of that. Yeah, I want to I ask you about this concept of pre-selling product. Like, I, I want to explore this a little bit because we've seen this like with some collections. Like, I feel like Puma did something like this where they pre-sold some NFTs that got you access to something else. I think Frank over at D-Gods did something like this with Utes or Toots or whatever the heck it was called. Utes and Tubes. <laughs> yeah, Utes and Tubes. Like, talk to me about the idea of pre-selling NFTs that are redeemable for a product, because that sounds like a really interesting thing we might want to talk about a little bit. Yeah, I think this is a powerful, it's powerful for something like Spirits, right, where you don't necessarily need it immediately. Like, I think of the world of like fast fashion, and I'm like, well, you're buying a, a you know a dress off of Instagram. You're not you want it tomorrow. You know you don't necessarily want to wait for it. But for any sort of business where there's a store of value nature to it, that's the other powerful thing with spirits. Spirits itself can be you know obviously very much a collectible. I think there's a huge power in in kind of pre-selling. I don't know. Utes did their their kind of application. They had a long waiting period before the art was revealed. I don't know what they did. You know, in some ways, I, I think you know like a, a D gods or you know Utes tubes they're selling like a membership access in, in, in many ways, you know, and so and then perks are delayed in the sense that they'll continue to add perks to that membership in theory for years to come. But but it is fascinating if you think about an NFT project like uh, Zeneca is kind of doing this a little bit. Zeneca has their 10,000, I believe, members and they've got their three through three club and then they got everybody else. They're launching a PFP. But the way that they're doing it is they're going to drop a free NFT to all these people that's redeemable for the PFP. I'm just curious, this concept of a redeemable, and even Bored Ape did this, right? Didn't they do this with the Mutant Apes? They dropped some stuff that was redeemable. Is this a model that you think is going to be more popular where you can essentially either purchase or get airdropped uh, something that can be redeemed for something else instead of instead of buying the something else, whether that something else is an NFT or redeemable for in-world experience. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on I that. I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this goes back to what I think the core, the core power here is this curation of, of unique experiences. So whether it's, I sold you an NFT and now I'm going to airdrop you something to reward you for that. And, and it's getting, again, getting your eyeballs back onto my brand. Or it's, you know, in, in Nike wants to reach you know, female fitness entrepreneurs or, you know, female entrepreneurs. And so they go to Huda Katan, who runs a, a huge beauty empire who's interested in NFTs because she's launched an NFT collection and they know her 10,000 holders are likely entrepreneurial females because that's her audience. And now Nike will airdrop to Huda's audience 20% off coupons for their new sneaker, whatever it is, right? The ease and efficiency of cross-promotion using NFTs for brands who are trying to target certain audiences, I think is really powerful. And, and to your point, maybe maybe there's a redeem element there where maybe, you know, Huda launches one thing. And we see fun things with redeem, like Damien Hurst did this, the very famous British artist, where if you bought one of his NFTs, there came a time where you could redeem that NFT for a physical, but you had to burn it. And so it became this art experiment of would you rather have the digital version of Damien's art and the NFT version of his art? Or would you rather have a physical Damien Hearst? And you have to make those trade-offs. And so there's gamification mechanisms that come into some into play with some of this redemption stuff as well that, again, gets your brand talked about, 
gets people thinking about your brand for, you know, even if it's just 20 minutes while they have to make that decision, there's, there's that time they're spending thinking about you and your work. It's powerful, I think. Yeah. And Kevin Rose is launching something called Mythics in 2023. And you can burn an oddity or wait, yeah, you can burn yeah. an oddity, which was a free airdrop partnership with Gremlin. So you can burn an oddity, which is going to deflate the total inventory of oddities, which might increase the value of those that hold their oddities. And the other cool thing is he's actually dropping these very slowly over time. So in the beginning, the inventory is going to be very small and more scarce, and then it's going to expand over time. I'm just curious about these kind of business models and what you think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, I think it's all fun, right? It all is, yeah, it's all just ways to get your customer to think and, and to interact. And, and they're like, you know, I, I think they're, there's a lot of cool stuff. That's what you were talking about with, with D gods. They did dead gods. And then, you know, you were supposed to convert to a dead god, but then that can mean that you're supposed to make your dead god a D god or whatever. I forget which order it was, you know, but then the, the other one became more rare. And, you know, the, so people have then, you know, theories about it and they all chat about it on Discord and, you know, it becomes a whole thing. I think the other model that's, or the other company that I love shouting out, and you can tell me if you want to go here or somewhere else you want to go, is, um, is Cryptoys, which we talked about which I think is a really cool. Tell me more. Yeah, tell me more. So I didn't know this because I don't have kids yet, but the like most popular trend in toys, I think this one company did like 5 billion in revenue in like 2019 on this, were some, it was something called LOL surprise dolls. And if people who are listening have kids, you might be familiar with this, but you know, the premise is you go to the store and there are these like fun little boxes is my understanding. And then there's a doll inside, but you can't see the doll through the box. You go home, you open it, and then you hope you get a doll with like the rare traits. And there's all these different traits. And it's like, a, I mean, it's literally NFTs. If you know anything about NFTs, it's the same idea. But you had kids all over the country and all over the world who were like obsessed with these. And, you know, that's all they wanted. It sounds like cards too, like Pokemon cards where you don't know what you're going to buy until you open it, right? Exactly. It's like getting a pack of Pokemon cards or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. But, you know, I think this was maybe this cross genders a little bit more. You had the, you know, the, the girl audience who was into this too. And so a gentleman named Will Weinrob had... I think just sold his his last startup, you know, was trying to figure out next move, has two young kids, kids obsessed with LOL surprise dolls. Will is getting into the blockchain. He sees this and he's like, no brainer if we put something like this, you know, and, and incorporate this, this blockchain element to it. Again, digital scarcity, digital rarity, that's the same thing. And so he built Cryptoys starting in 2017. And they're these adorable, like plush, like you just want to hug these characters, but of course they're digital. And he built this very toyetic experience as he describes where the whole idea is these digital unboxings that will like surprise and delight a kid. It's of course all virtual. And then once you unbox it and you hopefully get the, the rare toy or you don't or whatever, you can collect them, but you can also go take that character and now go play with it in an arcade. You know, so folks remember like Club Penguin. I keep using that as the analogy. It's like almost like you unbox this toy and you got that fun moment and that was a whole experience in and of itself. But now you also can extend the life cycle because now you can go take that toy and go play in an arcade with your other friends who have their rare cryptoys and they have a partnership with Mattel. So they just did a Masters of the Universe launch using their experience, using all these things, but it was it was Masters of the Universe toys that would, you know, you would unbox. I love this example. I think he ends up implementing a lot of the same features that we saw a lot of other NFT projects employ. But he has this really clear focus, this family angle to it that, you know, makes me, I, I'm, I'm very bullish on cryptoids. I'm notoriously bullish on cryptoids. I think I have a free one. So that's my disclosure. I think they gave me one, but I swear that's not why I'm saying any of this. I don't even know if I've gotten it yet. Very cool. Talk to me about Demo. I think it was D-I-M-O a little bit. We talked about that when we were prepping. Yeah. So Demo and, you know, I, uh, I'm still learning about this, but there's this whole separate conversation to be had around NFTs and blockchain, 
and self-sovereignty. And this idea that the internet is broken and the internet is owned by companies. And, you know, basically anytime you log into a website or if you log into a website for the first time, you log in using Google and your Gmail. And while I think on the surface, who cares? You live long enough in crypto and that starts to annoy you. Like I, I finally feel it now where I log into a new website. I'm like, why the heck does Google own this relationship, right? Like, why are they the gatekeeper for me getting on this website? And um, again, you, you may or may not be feeling that yet, but like you will, I like you live long and be like, why don't I own this? Why is my medical data owned by everybody seemingly but me? Like all of these facets of our lives that are owned by our data that are owned by social media companies or anywhere else. And so there's a lot of work being done around NFTs or digital assets that basically house your data and you are the sole controller and owner of that. And then you can choose to share out that data as as feels helpful to you because, okay, yes, I want to give it to this company because they need it for XYZ service that they're going to provide me, but I own it and I get rewarded for it, essentially. So Demo is that model applied to vehicles where they you have basically a digital asset and it's there's a hardware device that you connect to your, your car. The car feeds a, a bunch of data about itself to this digital asset. And then you can go around, you can get you know a, a really specific valuation of your car via that. But the, the long tail of this is you go and negotiate directly with insurance companies around it or there, you know there's lots of kind of ancillary businesses. There's lots of businesses that already do this and they just own the data for you. I know actually BlackBerry's doing stuff like this. So that's another, I think, really interesting example of where I think this goes. But, but this is an NFT though. This is an NFT tied to a hardware device. Is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It, it's a digital asset on the blockchain. Storytelling and lore and stuff seems to be becoming more important. Talk to me about your views on that. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in nerdy, totally, like if we're just in a, in NFT world, there are some companies that are doing really cool things where they incorporate storytelling and lore into sort of like a core function of their business. An example on the gaming side would be um, there's, a, there's a game called Gods Unchained, and it's a it's a trading card game, but it's entirely digital. So Magic: The Gathering is arguably one of the most famous trading card games in the physical world. This is all digital, and there was a particular card that Gods Unchained wanted to take out of circulation in their next pack drop. So they created this whole lore and story about that card and the character that was on that card. And I can't remember the specifics of it. I'm, I was trying to remember it. but And what they basically did was they created, Gods Unchained, the company, created this wallet that they went in and started buying back the the cards, right? This particular card to take it out of circulation. And it, it tied into the story they were telling of the universe all around. And of course, so people can choose not to sell it back to them and then it becomes this rare card. But for the most part, you know, the, the what they're offering is getting higher and higher so that people do ultimately want to sell that card back to Gods Unchained, the company itself. That's an example of something that you just couldn't have in the physical trading guard game world. Like what the, the company magic's gonna the company is gonna put out a copy and like mail us back your cards, you know, we'll send you a check. Like it, it doesn't work like that. So I think that that's a way that storytelling is coming in or I mean this is going to sound like such a wild example, but uh, there's there's a company, there's a project called Afropolitan. And this, we talk about self-sovereign identity. This is about starting a digital nation state. And this is a whole rabbit hole. It sounds so radical when people hear it. It's like people are trying to start a new country. Like, okay, crypto has really gone off the rails. But it's not physically tied to any location? The way Afropolitan is doing it, and there's different, there's different, people have different theories on how you should do this. Their goal is to set up what they call Afro towns. It's about the African diaspora. And so, but it, you know, it's, it's anybody can join it, but they're really trying to create kind of resources and like a home, quote unquote, for, for African diaspora folks. They're trying to set up Afrotowns. So like maybe starting in the Bahamas, which pre-FTX was very crypto friendly. Maybe they're, they've soured on us. I don't know. And it would be sort of like a Chinatown, right? Where it's a, it's, you know, like a cultural center within a 
jurisdiction. But then with the added almost like embassy status, where like a U.S. embassy somewhere is technically like a U.S. like land. Now you still have to obey the laws of like you can't, you know, murder somebody or like whatever. Right? Like to obey the laws of like the physical place you're in. So that's how they would do it is like have these Afro towns. Their goal is to have ultimately to have land places where you have Afro towns all over the place. Um, but you get there over time and you start with just like, a, you know, a digital collective. Last example I'll give on this that I think is important is like um, for, in the, for this project Afropolitan, they were saying, you know, when the Ukraine war started, that a lot of African students who were studying in Ukraine and who couldn't get out. And while a lot of other countries came and, and you know, whatever got their kind of students out, there was a lot of dis- discoordination, whatever it was, where a lot of African students, their countries weren't helping them leave Ukraine. So that's an example of Afropolitan. When it's like, you know, you were a member of Afropolitan, essentially like stepping in and having the resources and providing services for you like that healthcare potentially. Like there's, you can see how, where this could go, where it's like, well, if we can all coordinate and I pay dues into some, you know, organization that is essentially providing me better benefits than my state is. Why isn't it a state? And then you start getting into Africa, then you get recognition by the UN and it goes on and on. I bring all that up to say, talk about the lore. And they just have, they're starting with amazing lore and storytelling to create this identity for folks who are a part of Afropolitan. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. So, (laughs) so looking into the future, I would love to know where you see all this going. And we talked about movie theater. So I would love you to mention your thoughts on where you think this is all going. Yeah. So I I think there's a there's a couple ways to answer that. You talked about the movie theaters. This is I can give a couple more specific examples on this curation of unique experiences. So Tom Bilyeu, founder of Quest Nutrition, you know, gave me this one. He he falls in the camp of he's always he studied film in college. He's always wanted to be like a production studio guy. So he's he's doing like a V Friends. He's got something called Impact Theory, which is creating content both fictional and non-fictional. So he, he's in that world. He's building out some like metaverse stuff. And, but I think he's doing it really right in, in so many ways. And he gives an example of, you know, maybe one that feels a little futuristic for folks, but like, he, you know, he founded Quest Nutrition. He's like, we will have a time at some point when either through your phone or your glasses or whatever, you're walking through the mall, the shopping center, wherever you are. And because you have an impact theory, one of his NFTs, for example, a quest bar, like a digital quest bar or like a, you know, a character holding a quest bar will pop up in front of you that your friend who doesn't have that NFT won't see. You'll be able to go up, tap it, collect that quest bar, and then go walk into your local GNC and, and trade that for a, for a physical quest bar, right? So an example of how, again, almost the brand partnership stuff that I was describing earlier can start to take form like AR style in the world in front of you. If that feels too futuristic and you're like, I don't know, we'll see if we ever get there. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> super cool. You know, it does, it, it, it's, you know, it's super cool. You either have to have your phone in front of you or glasses though. And so both those are a little bit of barriers. The other example he gave is Mary Mods is one of their IP projects that they're building on one of their movies, right? So he's like, anybody who goes see, Mary Mods is not in theaters at this point, but like, again, hypothetical scenario here, you go see Mary Mods. It's a Christmas movie. At the end of Mary Mods, a QR code pops up on the screen. You now go and, and scan it with your phone, which gives you an NFT, which now allows you access to this amazing activation that's happening at Rockefeller Center, you know, here in New York, you, you scan it, it's, it's all New York theaters. You've now gone from on the movie screen to your phone to something in real life, this kind of integration of all of our media experiences and interactivity. And I could give literally like three more examples of, of interesting things that are happening with NFTs and, and media that I'll, I'll save because I'm like, just like word vomiting in this, in the spirit of trying to get this all out in, in an hour. Um, but I think that's, that's a really cool example of, of, you know, where this stuff is going. I think the other, there's a project called Altered State Machine. They're building a ton of different stuff that's 
fascinating, but they're working with the New Zealand government to create a protocol for like a digital identity, a digital citizenship piece in New Zealand. And that same company, Altered State Machine, is building out gaming experiences. So you might be able to take your ID that you log in to check your government benefits or your healthcare services or whatever in New Zealand, and then go and use that same ID to enter your like, you know, digital Travis Scott concert. And and just this, our lives not becoming more digital necessarily in the sense that we're spending more hours on our computer because we already spend everything there. But there's a streamlined and efficient nature to the way we're spending our time online because we have these identity cards. We've got this ownership level that allows us to kind of move through it in a way that more mirrors actually how we move through the the, the real world. Wow. That's 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 the that's the word that pops into my mind, like all caps W O W double exclamation point. Carly Riley, this has been amazing. If people want to track you down on the socials and interact with you there, do you have a preferred platform? And also where do you want to send them if they want to find out more about overpriced media and some of the great stuff that you've got going on? So follow me. Uh, I'm like at Carly P. Riley on all channels, R-E-I-L-L-Y. We'll probably, maybe it's linked to in the show notes or something. So at Carly P. Riley on, on all the kind of normal socials. You can also then from there on my like Twitter bio, find the podcast. You know, it, it's on YouTube. It's on all major podcast apps. If you look up overpriced JPEGs, you'll it'll be the, the thing that pops up. We mentioned the Substack. I do always talk fast. I don't always talk this fast. I have a hard stop on this interview. So I was like, I'm going to get everything in as fast as possible. What about the media company if they want to check out Overpriced Media? We don't have a website right now, funny enough. It's, you know, because it's our products are these media products. So if you go to the Substack, you can actually find a lot of the podcast episodes. We're, we're sort of in this transition phase, but on the Substack as well. So if you go to the Substack, it becomes kind of a catch-all for both the newsletter and, and the podcast. So it'll link you out to a you know, a YouTube or a podcast app. So Carly P. Riley on Twitter and the other social platforms. Thank you so much for coming on and answering all of my questions. You've given us a lot to think about. We're way better because of it. Thanks again. Hope so. Thanks, Michael. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C49. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a listener for a little while, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. See you next time. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.